Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Bribery is killing our children and preventing gun control. The House passed tough new gun measures after hours of wrenching testimony, as the headline in the Washington Post suggests. Mike DeBon is writing uh, that uh, the House yesterday, the House of Representatives, well, actually, we should say Democrats in the House of Representatives. There were, there were a tiny handful, five Republicans who joined the Democrats, and I'll get to them in just a moment. Um, but uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives yesterday passed legislation that would, have, uh, that would crack down on gun trafficking, that would create new safe storage requirements for gun owners, that would uh, ban untraceable ghost guns, and that would ban bump stocks on top of banning high-capacity ammunition magazines and saying that you must be 21 before you buy a weapon of war. Now, just the fact that you can still buy a weapon of war is, in my opinion, nuts. But, you know, this is, this is what they passed. It passed 223 to 204. Of the five Republicans who voted for the bill, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, Chris Jacobs of New York, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, and Fred Uptum of Michigan, the only one who is looking for re-election is Fitzpatrick. The rest of them have just given up. They're leaving, the, they're leaving Congress. Whether they're leaving the Republican Party is yet to be seen, but this is what's happening. And then among the Democrats, only two Democrats voted against securing guns, and that was Kurt Schrader here in Oregon, the guy who just got knocked, you know, bumped out on his keister by Jamie McLeod Skinner, and Jared Golden in Maine, who is a kind of Democrat in name only. But that's amazing. Only two Democrats broke with the entire party in the House of Representatives. The House passed two bills last year, by the way, dealing with federal background checks, one that would expand them to all commercial sites, all commercial sales, including gun shows and including Internet transactions. Right now, you can buy a gun on the Internet. You can buy a gun at a gun show. You can buy a gun from somebody from the trunk of their car and no background check. And another that would extend the time frame for completing that check. And that, that, that legislation with those two pieces in it, which was passed last year, in the House of Representatives by Democrats is also blocked in the United States Senate by a unified 50-vote Republican filibuster. So instead, and, and again, this is because these Republicans are being paid off. 
they have been bribed by the NRA, by the by the uh, gun companies, by the and 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 frankly, there's you know some right wing billionaires out there who appear to think that chaos in America is a good thing. When people are frightened, when people are afraid to send their kids to school, I mean, you've got there's a there's a whole group of Republican billionaires who don't think we should have public schools, literally. David Koch ran on this platform in 1980 for vice president of the United States. Shut down all the public schools in America. Betsy DeVos is all over this. You know, let's privatize everything, turn them all into charter schools so somebody can make a buck off public education. And what's a great way to destroy public schools? Well, make sure that, uh, you know, people are terrified to send their kids to school. I mean, I'm hearing these conversations. I've got a four-year-old grandson, and, and you know, I'm hearing this conversation from, from my kids, from their parents. It's like, you know, we're worried about sending kids to school. This is happening all over the country. And I'm telling you, the people who hate public schools, the Betsy DeVosses of the world, are, have, to, have to be loving this. Now, I don't know if they're funding you know, Republican politicians to not vote for gun legislation. But they're certainly funding Republican politicians to not enhance our schools, to not provide better education. So now in the wake of all this, the Senate realizes that they have to do something. Right? They have to do something. They have no choice. They've, they've got to do something. So John Cornyn, the Republican senator from Texas, seems to be kind of leading this thing. And he's like, uh, no, we're not going to ban weapons of war. No, we're not going to ban high-capacity magazines. No, we're not going to require everybody who buys a gun to get a background check. No, we're not going to pass any red flag laws. What we're going to do is we're going to fund mental health programs and we're going to harden our schools. Right. We should have only one entrance into a school, don't you know? A school with one entrance is also known as a fire trap. They, they, with the red flag laws, you know, the red flag laws like that, that, you know, where the police can confiscate the gun of somebody who has been, you know, convicted of uh, domestic violence, for example. An awful lot of murders come, up, come about as a consequence of this. This legislation, while it mentions red flag laws, Actually, it's not even legislation yet. It's negotiation right now. This negotiation that Cornyn is participating in uh, doesn't even establish red flag laws nationwide. Instead, it encourages states to pass their own red flag laws. Right. Political bribery legalized by five Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court is killing our children. I don't know how else to say it. We've got a bribery problem in America. We also have a media problem in America. Over on Fox News, uh, the, yeah, I, I mentioned at the, at the beginning of the first hour that I watched a little bit of Fox News this morning and and discovered that, uh, you know, the, the conservative uh, freakout, the hysteria that always happens in the months leading up to, ele- to an election, particularly midterm elections, which is, oh, my God, there's a caravan coming. It's coming. They're coming to us. 
And on Fox News, they were like, oh, yes, and, and Kamala Harris wants those people when they cross the border to be put in your town. But back when Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, and, and this, I guarantee you, this is what you can expect if Republicans seize control of the House or the Senate this fall. Back in the day when Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, or at least the House, and everybody knew that Hillary Clinton was going to be running for president in 2016. In fact, Kevin McCarthy came out and said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to use the Benghazi hearings to destroy Hillary Clinton, and it's working. Fox News carried over 1,100 segments on Benghazi. 1,100 reports on Benghazi. Now, just, just to remind you what that was, there was a, a, a CIA station in Benghazi. It was not a, a, a diplomatic residence. It was a CIA station, but it was associated with the State Department. It was kind of fronting as, as, a, as a diplomatic outpost. They had, on multiple occasions, asked Congress for more money to harden this facility. And Republicans in Congress repeatedly voted no. No for money to Benghazi. So as ISIS, I believe it was, it might have been Al-Qaeda, as one of these two groups was starting to rise in Libya, which is where Benghazi is located, they attacked this, you know, a mob of people attacked this building and killed four Americans. They killed two CIA guys who were there as security, and they killed a diplomat and, and a person working for him, four people. At the time, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. So the Republicans said, it's all her fault. Well, you know, this is after those same Republicans had voted over and over and over again to say no for more money for the State Department to harden its facilities around the world. But they held months of hearings. Hillary Clinton testified for hours on this, among others, to try to make it seem like there was some scandal here. Hillary lied and Americans died was their slogan. And Fox News did 1,100 segments on this non-scandal. By the way, more American diplomats were killed during the Bush administration than during the Obama administration when Benghazi happened. But, you know, Fox News never investigated that. They never even talked about it. Frankly, not, not even MSNBC talked about it, because MSNBC at least is still trying to be a news network. But Fox is nothing but partisan smear, wall-to-wall, all day long, pretending to be a news organization. And then when they get sued, they go into court and say, oh, no, we're, we're just opinion. We're not, you know, we, yes, news is in our name, but, you know, that's just a brand. That's incredible. Matt Gertz, a senior fellow at Media Matters for America, said this marks a new phase of Fox's complicity in the violent right-wing coup attempt, this being that tonight they're not even going to carry the hearings. Instead, you're going to have Sean Hannity, who's going to be outed in the hearings, doing his show, and Tucker Carlson and Laura, Laura Ingram. He says the network stars went all in to support former President Donald Trump's lie that the 2020 election had been stolen. When that incitement triggered the storming of the U.S. Capitol, 
an attempt to overturn the election results by force and end American democracy. Fox hosts privately begged Trump to stop the assault, then publicly excused it. In the months that followed, they pivoted to defending Trump and his insurrectionist and punishing any Republicans who spoke out against this depravity. By the way, during the Benghazi hearings, just a, a little coda here, during the Benghazi hearings, when Hillary Clinton finally testified, Fox cut away from her testimony. Because in her testimony, she pointed out that A, the administration, the Obama administration, repeatedly asked Republicans in Congress for money to harden Benghazi, number one. And number two, that she had nothing to do with what happened in Benghazi. So they cut away from the hearings when she was testifying, when the truth was coming out. They only followed them when Republicans were doing their little witch hunt routine. How long is this going to last in America? How, how many more Americans are going to be suckered in by this stuff and embrace this fascist authoritarianism that has, that has seized the Republican Party? What are you seeing on the ground where you live? Danny in Monument, Colorado. Hey, Danny, what's up? Hey, Tom. So I just wanted to say, hey, they did a great job with their presentation, and then there's five more to go. But really, is it going to do anything? It's going to alert the public, definitely. I don't want to totally poo-poo on it, but what's it going to do if Garland does not convict Trump and all the others? He went recently, he went recently, Garland, and, and did this edition on the Proud Boys and the other guys. Which is a big deal. But it, it is a big deal. But why do you lock up Navarro and put him in handcuffs and you don't go after the other big fish Meadows, yeah. like Kevin McCarthy and the other ones? Yeah. Kevin McCarthy yeah. hasn't been referred for criminal prosecution for refusing to testify, but Meadows certainly has been. And there was one other person mm -hmm. associated with him and Dan Scavino. That's right. Thank you, Sean. And the DOJ has decided to skate on them, presumably because they were actually advisors to the president who were being paid to do so. And, uh, you know, there's some executive privilege assertion. But but I, I don't I, I don't agree with that. I, you know, the, the only president who can assert executive privilege now, you know, since January 20th of last year is is uh, President Biden. And and mm -hmm. so I'm I'm very much with you. I am very disappointed in the Department of Justice in that regard. That said, though, you know, there's this mythology that both our courts, particularly the Supreme Court and our Department of Justice are immune from political pressure, that they're nonpartisan, nonpolitical agencies. That is very much not true. And I'm not talking about the corruption of the DOJ by Donald Trump for political purposes like with Bill Barr as happened under George Herbert Walker Bush also back in 1992. What I'm talking about is that when political pressure reaches a certain level, the Supreme Court and the Department of Justice will change their opinions. We saw this in the Supreme Court in 1937 in a big way. Um, I think that it's possible, it's remotely possible, we'll see that they're going to water down their abortion ruling. I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll see. It may be that they're not. But then, you know, the, I think public opinion is going to turn against them hard. hard. Um, and the same thing with the Department of Justice. I think that if enough people are raising enough hell saying, hey, this is a real crime, these people need to go to prison, I, I frankly believe the DOJ will act. Hey, it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So was the Uvalde shooter a male supremacist? Some strange stuff here. And how does this relate to things like incels and whatnot? On the line with us is Alex DeBranco, the executive director of the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism. Uh, the website uh, there, M-S, or T-H-E-I-R-M-S dot org. Um, he's also a Ph.D. candidate at Yale in sociology, researcher of uh, right wing and misogynist movements. Alex DeBranco, A-L-E-X-D-I-B-R-A-N-C-O is, is uh, Alex's Twitter handle or T-H-E-I-R-M-S. Uh, Alex, welcome to the program. So what's the difference between an incel and a male supremacist? Yeah, so a um, misogynist incel is a movement within male supremacism. Um, male supremacism, like white supremacism, is an overarching term that refers to a variety of structures, ideologies, and movements predicated on the belief in biological essentialism, that there is an inherent difference between males and females, that there are no other genders, and that males are superior to all others. And that superiority entitles them to dominance, control, um, they dehumanize others, et cetera. So that's male supremacism writ large. Mm -hmm. And the misogynist incel movement is a movement that has, over the past almost a decade, um, become more active in um, promoting acts of mass violence and there being more acts of mass violence over these past years um, based on ideologies around cisgender men's sexual entitlement to women's bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and if they don't have those, that that's an injustice and that violence is potentially one of the justified responses to that. Um, incels writ large, is a term that goes back to the 1990s and was a gender neutral 
community founded actually by a bisexual woman. But this permutation of misogynist incels has developed alongside other male supremacist groups like the Red Pill and pickup artists over the past decade. That's fascinating. And Alex, my apologies for using the wrong pronoun in introducing you. It's entirely on me. Um, so where... First of all, how big is this and what kind of risk do these do these movements represent to society and, and what and what's the connection with the Uvalde shooter to these things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's really hard to get a count on people who subscribe to these kinds of male supremacist ideologies and movements. Um, you have between tens and hundreds of thousands of people who are members of forums organized around misogynist ideology, um, but many people don't subscribe to those forums. Studies that have looked at traffic, you know, of those forums sometimes show hundreds of thousands to maybe millions. Um, so these are various numbers. The number of attacks that has happened um, specifically connected to the misogynist incel movement or to um, related to its ideology um, has been more than 50 deaths over the past um, decade. Um, what we see, though, in this recent shooting um, is that we don't actually have any evidence that the perpetrator was directly connected to a specific community um, or movement ideology. What he expresses in a lot of ways is just our sort of more mainstream rape culture and the male supremacism that is inherent to the structure of our society. So the things that we know about his misogyny, um, his threats of sexual violence and physical violence against girls and women um, is something that is actually seen widely on the internet and is not only connected to any given movement, sexual harassment, online and offline, sexual violence, interpersonal violence. Um, you know, the perpetrator started by attacking his grandmother. That is really commonly seen in acts of um, uh, in mass shootings, um, regardless of the specific ideology, yeah, like Sandy white Hook. supremacist, male supremacist, that they start with violence against a woman in their life, potentially a family member. So what we see in this shooting seems to be more coming out of mainstream male supremacism, of which similarities certainly to um, misogynist incel ideology with its focus on um, sexual entitlement, um, but that that ideology itself is an expression, a more extreme expression, but still in line with a lot of the messaging that comes through actually our mainstream culture about dehumanizing and objectifying girls and women and around cisgender men's entitlement. We're talking with Alex DeBranco. She's the executive director of the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism. Uh, T-H-E-I-R-M-S dot org is the website. Um, Alex, how, I mean, this is something that either was very underground or, or largely didn't exist 20, 30, 40 years ago. I, I'm an old man and I, I have no recollection of this when I was a kid, although obviously, you know, rape culture and male supremacy and all that, they were just kind of baked into our culture. Um, uh, but 
organized movements. I remember the men's rights movement in the 80s, uh, actually, or maybe the late 70s. Uh, had a little flair for a while. How does the, how has this movement come to be, or these movements? How have they come to be organized? How have they come to be branded? How how is it that people feel like they're part of a movement as opposed to just either reflecting the culture unconsciously or without realizing it, or or you know whatever, just being being a strange person? Um, is this a social media phenomena? Is 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 my perception of this as being relatively recent accurate, or am I just uh, blissfully unaware? Yeah, so it really has to do with, you know, what was baked into our culture and then the progress we've had around gender justice. So we can look back to the movement for women's voting rights a century ago and see male supremacist mobilizations at that time, which were very hostile, which were violent towards the women who were protesting for their rights, because that was an early major threat to cisgender men's dominance. And then when we look, as you mentioned, with the men's rights movement that started around the 1970s, but really um, coalesced in its ideology in the 1990s and became more active and also um, perpetrated acts of violence um, and was a global, um, globally active movement are you know coming when they feel a threat to the cisgender men's dominance and cisgender white men's dominance, of course, primarily, um, that they had that dominance and now they are losing parts of it. Um, So as we go forward from the 70s, as we have new legislation around sexual harassment and sexual violence, as we have things like married women can finally have credit cards under their own names without their husband's signature. Like so much of the progress for gender justice is just in this past half century. Um, And then in the 1990s, things like um, the hearings around Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill speaking up against sexual harassment, those were touchstones. Um, for cisgender men, primarily cisgender white men, to see um, that they did not have as much of a hold on their dominance as previously, even though we still have a really long way to go in terms of gender justice. So it's not just a social media phenomenon, although certainly social media helps movements organize, but it is a fairly recent phenomenon um, that is coming through as cisgender men don't just have this structure of their dominance that feels just completely, you know, safe and unthreatened. They start to mobilize to reinstate the privileges that they previously had, often under the banner of this being justice, um, but in actuality is just seeking to re-uphold the supremacist structure that was at the core of, you know, the founding of our society. Yeah, I totally get it. And, 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 and going back thousands of years, in fact, um, you know, the whole Eve myth. Um, but Alex, we're going to hit a, we're going to hit a break here in a, in, in a minute or so. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what can we do about this as a society, as a culture? Um, I, I hear from uh, particularly women in politics that, uh, you know, you stick your head up on social media, you're going to get rape threats, you're going to get death threats. Doesn't so much happen to men. Um, although I, I know of one uh, gay man politician who's out and married and everything, and, and uh, he has experienced a lot of the same kind of stuff. Um, how, do we do, how do we push back against this? How do we change society? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly intersecting intersecting forms of supremacism. Queer women, women of color are going to get more attacks, other people of color and queer people. Um, so what we at the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism really emphasize is that these are long-term cultural changes. And when we see things like um, QAnon or the Proud Boys focusing on local school boards, things like the attacks on critical race theory, which follows the playbook of attacks on comprehensive sexuality education, really focusing on generational change. Um, and so a lot of our intervention points come in too late. We really need to be thinking about things like comprehensive sex education. There's a new lobbying C4 called Educate Us that works on comprehensive sex education um, as one of the areas where you can teach about consent, about humanizing other people, about empathy. Um, and we have had for a couple of decades now these actually really harmful abstinence-only programs in many schools um, that teach gender stereotyping, that are anti-LGBT, that are in many ways anti-consent, have a lot of problems. We can look at the literary canons we have, the lack of women's and girls' voices and what we teach in our English literary canons. One of our fellows, Aaron Spompanato, has written about how you can see elements of misogynist incel ideology reflected in a lot of the traditional books that we read uncritically in elementary, middle, and high school um, history courses. So we really like to think about how we change the culture at that base level. Yeah, that's, that's great. Alex DeBranco, Executive Director of the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism, IRMS, T-H-E-I-R-M-S.org, the website, Alex DeBranco on Twitter. Alex, thanks a lot for dropping by. Great, great meeting you. Great talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, there was a guilty plea in California. This was the uh, attempted firebombing of the uh, headquarters of the uh, California Democratic Party. I mean, he was pretty serious about committing domestic terrorism. And what's got me scratching my head is why wasn't he convicted of domestic terrorism? Um, I'm guessing it's probably because we don't have an effective domestic terrorism law. Because every time anybody brings one up, a whole bunch of Republicans come out and go, oh, no, 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 no. 
The Associated Press, a California man pleaded guilty Friday to plotting to blow up the state Democratic Party's headquarters in what prosecutors said was the first in a planned series of politically motivated attacks after the defeat of former President Donald Trump. This guy is 46 years old. His name was Ian Benjamin Rogers. He lived in Napa. He pleaded guilty to conspiring to destroy a building by fire or explosive, possessing an explosive device, possessing a machine gun. He's looking at the possibility of nine years in prison. They haven't done the sentencing yet. And uh, he also had a, a compatriot, a fellow by the name of Jared Copeland, and they were uh, convicted of conspiring to attack targets that they associated with Democrats. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And this is, you know, remember Tim McVeigh. When Tim McVeigh blew up the Oklahoma City building, uh, the federal building in Oklahoma City, killing hundreds of children, there was a daycare center in there, um, in addition to, or maybe it was dozens of children and over 100, uh, you know, citizens. When Tim McVeigh did that, he had recently read this book called The Turner Diaries, which is a novel that, um, in which a group of patriots who see the country sliding into communism, this group of patriots blow up a federal building. And my recollection is, and I, I read the book back in the, geez, the 80s, the 90s, whenever it came out, when it was a big deal. Um, my recollection is they blew up the FBI building, but I could be wrong. But in any case, they, 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 these patriots, they blew up a federal building. And the response of the federal government was to take away everybody's guns. To say, why? You just, you just blew up a federal building, so we're going we're gonna to outlaw explosives, we're going to outlaw guns, and we're going to put an end to this. And of course, the good patriots all across the country rose up, took down the government, and in the process, killed all the black people, all the Hispanic people, all the Jews, uh, probably a few Catholics. And in the end, it's, you know, white Protestants rule the country. And Tim McVeigh believed that by doing the exact same thing, by blowing up a federal building, he would, he would, uh, Start a revolution. Start a movement. Well, that is what Ian Benjamin Rogers believed, too. This, uh, the, the Turner Diaries is still out there and widely read by these people, as is now Camp of the Saints, another one. This was a French novel, and it's about the white replacement theory, about the efforts of government to replace white people with uh, mostly black people who are portrayed in Camp of the Saints book as, as uh, uh, shall we say, less than human. These are very popular pieces of literature on the right. You find them for sale at gun shows, for example, frequently. And this is where it gets interesting. Ian Benjamin Rogers and Jared Copeland who blew up the, or tried to blow up the, the Democratic headquarters in California, quote, hoped their attacks would prompt a movement, according to federal prosecutors. Rogers wrote in one of the messaging apps that he used to communicate with Copeland, he said, I want to blow up a Democrat building bad. We go to war. 
This was, again, because Joe Biden was elected president. When they searched his home in January of last year, they found 50 firearms, thousands of rounds of ammunition, and five pipe bombs. Which brings me to the second point and how this all ties in with guns. And that is that gun ownership in the United States, the number of guns that are owned in the United States has gone up over the last decade. The number of people who own guns, though, according to some reports, now the problem with this is that we don't know for sure because the Dickey Amendment makes it illegal for the federal government to collect this kind of information. This would be the kind of thing that the Centers for Disease Control, it's a public health issue, right? 45,000 Americans die from guns. I think in Canada last year it was 337, as I recall. It was in today's New York Times. But 45,000 here in the United States. And, but from some of the numbers that we're seeing, it suggests that the number of gun owners as a percentage of the population is going down. The number of gun owners as an absolute number is going up. But our population is also growing. And the number of gun owners as a percentage of the population has been going down while the number of guns the average gun owner owns has been going up. In other words, people are getting ready for war. The people who are holding guns, or at least some of them, a small cohort of them. And this is, this is something that I think that, frankly, we should be paying a little more attention to. Johan in Los Angeles. Hey, Johan, what's on your mind today? I have an idea about the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know you. This would be a good idea. Um, back in the day, Justice Berger wanted to abolish the Second Amendment and not to put it back into the Constitution. In the other hand, John Paul Stevens, the one of the chief justices, wants to rewrite the Second Amendment so that it only goes to the military, police, and uh, security guards and things like that. Right. Should yeah. all 50 states put this into the ballot in 2024 and people vote on it so the well, government can pass or re- repeal the amendment? The, yeah, the way that we would uh, repeal or establish an amendment that contradicts the, the Second Amendment is uh, it has to pass both the House and Senate with a two-thirds vote, and then it has to yeah. be voted yes by three-quarters of the states. Uh, I think that's, uh, Johan, I think that's a, a lift that is... Uh, impossible, frankly, in in the current impossible. political environment. Yeah, I, it's not going to happen. Um, what what I think is imp- it does need to happen is we do need to educate people. We need to blow up this lie that the NRA has been selling since the 70s that the Second Amendment is there so that we can challenge our government. That is that is something that the the, 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 the these crazed right wing militia people are clinging to. Um, uh, along with their guns, to paraphrase Obama, and uh, and particularly the whites, the white supremacists, you know, who who want to just you know kill people of color in this country, uh, or or establish a separate country of just white people in this country, or establish this country as, you know, that that that's largely the cohort that is that is pointing this. The other point that I would make is that the Second Amendment does say. For the security of well-regulated, a, you know, yep. right, a, re- a re- well-regulated militia. And in the Heller decision, up until the Heller decision, uh, in whatever year that was, um, I'm, I'm forgetting now, but up until the Heller decision, 
everybody understood that the militia part of the Second Amendment was an important part of it. And in the Heller decision, Scalia essentially said, you know, that's that that's not the core of the Second Amendment. That that is a uh, a peripheral part of it. I forget the word he used, but uh, you know, kind of an appendage to it. And it can be separate. It can be separated from it, and we can just deal with the rest of the Second Amendment and exclude the militia part. Well, that you know, and he claims to be an originalist, but that's complete BS. I mean, the 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 actual original you know founders and framers, it was all about the militia. It was entirely about the militia, in fact. So I think the work we have to do is not so much, uh, you know repeal the Second Amendment or, or, or whatnot is to uh, change the broad understanding of it. We need to be telling the truth about where the Second Amendment came from. We need to be pushing back on these lies that the NRA and now, you know, the, the, these uh, right-wing white supremacist militias have been pushing for years and years and years and that they're continuing to push. Or we have to, or we have to uh, hold gun owners, the store owners, hold them accountable for selling those uh, weapons of war when you know. Well, that's another piece to it is, you know, yeah. Congress, Congress gave immunity from product liability lawsuits to the to the gun industry, which is nuts. And that needs to be repealed right away. Uh, again, that's going to take, you know, an act of Congress. And uh, given the current state of the Senate, that's going to be a challenge. But maybe after this election, if we can grab some seats. Johan, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Let's go back to the question of whether or not uh, shootings are just a natural consequence of a free society. Yes. Would have to you would have to have the understanding, the misunderstanding, the erroneous understanding that the Second Amendment is a fundamental right, and it is not. In fact, the Bill of Rights themselves are not necessarily fundamental rights. Simply because they are expressly enumerated does not make them fundamental. And I will give you the best example, or the easiest one to understand, is the Seventh Amendment says, in cases at common law, which is civil cases, in which the amount of controversy should be more than $20, the right to jury trial is preserved. Okay, preserved as what? What does that mean? Well, it's preserved as what it was in Old English common law, in Old Bailey. It was, that was basically an amendment that was imported from old English law. Mm-hmm. It is not something they, they made up. It was an old law. And as a matter of fact, that's why the Supreme Court decided a long time ago that your right to jury trial in your state is not, it's not fundamental enough. And so your right to jury trial only depends on your state. They did not import, or they did, they did not, uh, the 14th Amendment, uh, into the Seventh Amendment. So it depends on your state as to whether or not you have a right to a jury trial in a civil case. And as a matter of fact, it, it, oh, it's very dependent. I didn't know that. Yeah, on whether or not you actually have a right in a, in a federal case because the rules governing jury trial in common law are kind of complicated. And you may or may not have a right to a jury trial because in Old England, there were, remember, if you read the Constitution, it says there were laws of, there are courts of law and courts of equity. Law is common, common law or civil law and criminal law. Courts of equity were where the court could compel you, the chancellor could compel you to do something. A civil, like, get your cattle off his land. Right. So that's a, but you, if you don't do that, it could turn into criminal. Like, he could jail you. The chancellor could jail you for not doing it, okay? So now let's look at the Second Amendment. Is it fundamental? No, it's not. Because, and it has become that in the last uh, 14 years. 
because of two things. But originally, in a case called United States versus Crookshank in 1876, a very conservative Chief Justice, Morrison R. Waite, wrote these words. The First Amendment right to assembly and the Second Amendment do not apply to the state. He said, he goes on and says, the right to bear arms is not guaranteed by the Constitution, nor is it dependent on that instrument for its existence. The Second Amendment means no more that it shall not be infringed by Congress and has no effect other than to limit the power of the national government. Right, That's man. not a federal right. There what he meant, well, a fundamental right. What he meant was the right to bear arms, if you have it in your state, cannot be infringed by the federal government. Got it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Roberta in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Hey, Roberta, what's on your mind today? In the animal world, if the males kill the offspring, it's a way of forcing uh, the females to ovulate again and have to mate. And I know that that maybe sounds really over the top, but we are, you know, more in touch with our ancestry than we like to believe. Because it's just, you know, they go into the schools and they kill all the children. Oh, that's and interesting. And so I wonder if... What, you know, I, you remember, know? I remember when I was a kid reading about some, some species that do that. I mean, that's not universal across the animal kingdom. Do you, do you know what's... No, what? it's not universal, but the um, hippopotamuses do it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the hippopotamus, they have to, they have to protect... Um, and oh, I'm trying to think. That's the one that comes to mind. But there are yeah. several so, that the, that so the females have a, to protect. Yeah, to, to protect the offspring. So maybe at some deep level, some deep DNA level, these young men who are out here killing children are are acting out something that's buried deep in our DNA. That's your hypothesis, Roberta. Yeah, yeah. It, like I said, it just kind of sprang full blown as I was listening to her. To go, you know what? You keep going down the line and. Yeah. That kind of makes sense, along with the misogyny and the, the entitlement to a female's body and right. the rest of it. I, I'm more inclined to suspect that our, our society is sick, you know, as a consequence of these things over the years. But, um, boy, that's, that's thought-provoking. Roberta, thank you. Thanks for the call and thanks for the, <laughs> the idea. Clay in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Hey, Clay, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Another animal that does that is lions. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, lions are known to eat the cubs of a female that they want to have, that they want to mate with. Interesting. Or kill them, not eat them necessarily. Right. But yeah. anyway, um, what I was wondering, can we start calling the Republican Party the Republic Gun Party for now? Republic Gun Party. Okay. Yeah. Yes. They would probably so, like that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Um, the, these people that uh, keep talking about the the freedom, their their freedom to, you know, buy what they want. I have a friend that said that the other day. What, you know, who, why should I not be able to buy what I want? Well, can can you buy a rocket launcher? Can you know? It, should right. you be able to do that? Should you be able to buy flamethrowers and tanks and have you know as many as you want? And uh, there there are the point is that there are restrictions on our freedoms always. Sure. You can't drive drunk. You can't break, you know, go 100 miles an hour in, in a school zone and, you know, and 
all these silly things. It's things that that it's a silly argument. This freedom's argument. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any. It doesn't hold up. It's a naked violation of common sense. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. Let's just Absolutely. let's just say it right up front here. It's like, wait a minute. This doesn't make any any sense. Any idiot should be able to figure out that you know they're and and even the Heller decision. You know, in that Scalia says, you know, we're not we're not saying that states can't regulate guns. We're just saying that you can't that, that a person can have one in their home for personal protection. That's it. I mean, that's yeah. basically the essence of Heller. Yeah. And uh, it's been turned into this. Uh, you know, it's like the great God gun. I mean, it's Moloch. You know, it's it's, it's the, really. You know, I guess when a person has freedom, it's hard to take. Or, you know, has some freedom to have something. It's hard to take that away. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I, and I that, suppose that I'm moving not moving the, the assault weapons ban was a, a mistake. It was a, it was a huge mistake. And George W. Bush and, uh, you know, should answer for it. I'm with you. Clay, thank you for that. Margaret in East Chester, New York. Hey, Margaret, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'm Hi. wondering the congressmen were afraid to get on the bus. And one congressman told them, do not leave the Capitol. You're talking about January 6th. Correct. I'm sorry. And, you know, I'm wondering... Who paid for the bus? Why were those buses ordered there? How early were they ordered? When we were waiting for cops and guns and oh, all kinds of dogs question. and fire hoses. Did Trump order those buses? Where did those buses come from? Who had arranged that buses would be waiting? Why? Whoa. You're brilliant, Tom, one Margaret. of many questions. No, Tom, you're brilliant, that is an idea that has not occurred to me. And, and uh, yeah, that's a damn good question. Why, you know, right, right, right up with that question, you know, who brought the noose and, uh, and the gallows. Uh, the, the gallows. Yeah. Oh, that is a big. Yes, yeah. there are. This is really uh, how anyone can deny the culpability of this conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this, this, this was obviously more than just a, a spur of the moment. Donald Trump says, let's oh, go run. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm Oof. with you. Margaret, thank okay, you for that. Many thanks. Yeah. Thank Good talking with you. Thank you. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. First, I just want to make a quick point. Look, I've got nothing against Trump voters, and I've got absolutely nothing against Donald Trump himself. They suffer from um, enantiodromia. Enantiodromia. Or you can't really say suffer. What is antiodromia? Enantiodromia. Well, the, the best example, I mean, there's tons of examples, but the best example, if, you, if you're a Star Trek fan, there's an episode where this little kid is um, trapped, uh, right, and he's in a ship that's burning, and Data, the, the android, uh, the little kid's family abandoned him because he's going to die. But, but Data pulls, the, uh, pulls him out of the fire and pulls the big heavy thing off of him. Well, that trauma causes the kid to believe he's an android. He starts acting out as an android. And basically, this is what's happening with Trump. So voters. is this a real psychological illness, Dave, or is this something that you just made up from watching Star Trek? No, no, it's real. Um, actually, well, people think um, that they're androids. Well, I'll give you a better example since you're a history buff, because you, you, I, I know you know this. You know, um, settlers in America, uh, a lot of times the ships, resupply ships didn't come, and then they got assimilated in the Native American civilizations. And even back then, uh, when they were recovered from, by Europeans, they weren't, as, as, as brutal as Europeans were, they weren't hard on those people. Because they understood it was it was you know they had to survive. Oh, it was a, it was a big trauma. problem back back in the sixteen throughout the sixteen hundreds and in the early seventeen hundreds. In fact, it was, it was even a problem as late as the late seventeen hundreds was 
you know, the, the so-called white Indians, the, the white people who would uh, flee what we call civilization and go live with Indians. And then they didn't want to come back. I mean, you know, but is that what you call yeah, it? No, 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 no. I, my point is I have nothing against Trump voters, so, but I want people to understand there's a five-alarm fire in the corridors of power in Beijing, right? And I'll tell you why. Um, this is, um, uh, Beijing has been sending sorties to, uh, against Australian and Canadian observation uh, uh, observation. I was, yeah, yesterday I was talking with my friend Richard, who lives in Australia, and uh, he was telling me how they, not, not just sending sorties, they, that there was a, a, an Australian plane, a spy plane, and the, which was in, in its own waters, in illegal territory, and a Chinese jet came by and blew the, the, you know, the metallic, the aluminum chaff that they blow out to, to screw up radar, blew that in front of this Australian spy plane so that it got sucked into their engines. And, you know, they yeah. had to make an emergency landing. I mean, this is this is more than just sending a sortie. This is actually, you know, nearly engaging in combat. I mean, it's it's dangerous stuff. The Australians are quite freaked out about this. Well, they're doing direct confrontation on the behalf of North Korea. They've never done that before. North Korea is a mess. But this little country called Ukraine has, has really caused a panic. You cannot look at how calm Beijing's being. That's, that's fake. Uh, under the sophistication of, of, of um, Vladimir Putin's fake. They absolutely need Donald Trump now. Because what, what's happened is North Korea... All right, I was there in Korea during the Chonan, uh, the Chonan sinking. All right. Now, what they did was completely backwards. I thought, what is North? It's Pyongyang committing suicide here. I mean, we're going to we're going to destroy them. Right. They uh, a very, a very uh, jingoistic um, Park Jin-hee was elected to South Korea. Right. Mm -hmm. she, her, her father was an American, um, you know, sponsored dictator of South Korea. But anyways, she was very jingoistic and she um, she was very bellicose. Right. But she was also corrupt. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound a little right. bit like Donald Trump? Yeah. And what that does is that what that does is it causes um, uh, the the the, uh, the core principle South. South Korea is part of North Korea. Taiwan is part of China. Ukraine is part of Russia. That what it does is that bellicosity it solidifies that right, right. And, and it unifies the people. So, yeah, so I think now, Trump is with them on all of those things. Yes, but Trump is not a Yuri. Okay, he's too dumb. He is an inadvertent, very, very valuable tool. No, they're waiting for Ron DeSantis. Well, opinion. and yet. Well, and if, if, if I'm hurting Trump voters' feelings, they should give DeSantis, because DeSantis is a wild card. Trump is a known element. I think they're going to do a high-risk operation to try to get Trump in there, because it doesn't matter at this point. Yikes. Well, time will tell, Dave. Uh, thanks a lot for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I'm assuming, uh, knowing that Dave was a former intelligence officer, that when he says they are going to do a high-risk operation, he's talking about Russia and or China. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. 
Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Pete in Newport, Oregon. Pete, you want to say AR-15s are not weapons of war? Huh? Right. They're they're not. Uh, M-16s are weapons of war, the AR-15 is a semi-automatic gun that is the same as it's the any civilian other version of a, of a of a weapon of war. Well, I would I would well, argue, it, Pete, it that any semi-automatic weapon, weapon is a weapon of war. war. Okay. Well, what the problem is, progressive people that are also gun owners like myself, we hear somebody talking about these as if they're weapons of war, and really, it's it's no different than hunting rifles out there, except it has a thirty-round clip. Oh, there's there's a huge difference. difference in Texas. You can't you know you can't have more than three shots. I mean, the duck load is three shots. That's it. Wait, wait, that's exactly what I just said. I said the only difference is that it has a thirty-round clip. Well, it also is firing two twenty-three bullets. I mean, you know, rounds. Which, it's, it's, which it's, is it's, which is a horribly small bullet that is not that, made to that's kill. traveling at thirty-two hundred square you know feet per feet, feet per second. So when it hits the body, it basically you know explodes whatever it hits. It's why it's why two of those children had their heads exploded to the point that there was just a piece of their spine sticking out of the top of their bodies. No, you're you're right. It, it, it's not a powerful. That is round, but that it is it is not. People, this not this is people. not designed to hunt deer. This is not designed to hunt ducks. It's designed to hunt people. What do you call it when people hunt people? It's war. Or murder. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of words for yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's but, it's war. I mean, I'm sorry, Pete. No, you're I, not going to convince I, me. I agree with you, but what I'm saying is capacity, magazine capacities. That's it, the only the only functional difference in this. And no, so it's if, not. If it's it's also that, the type of round it fires. Yeah, the type of round it fires is far less powerful than most deer hunting rounds, especially elk hunting rounds. I mean, it's a it is it's not made to kill people; it's made to injure them. That's why it's got such a small bullet. Uh, then because uh, if one person is injured, no, it takes no, no, two no. more people to pull that person out. Yeah, Pete, you can you can you can try to defend AR-15s all day long. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not buying it, I'm, and I'm going to just pull the plug right now. Uh, uh, Tim, uh, Tim in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Tim, I. I'm sorry. I, I just realized I've, I've only got 30 seconds till the break. I should I should have continued my argument with what's his name. Um, unless you want to say something for 30 seconds, I can put you on hold. I can I can talk quick. Okay, go for it. Okay, um, I was just going to say you said something about Don Jr. Uh, running. I think it's going to be Ivanka. That's my hunch. You think? Really? I think so. I but think Don Jr. is out running around the country campaigning right now, and Ivanka is kind of hiding out. I know, but it's going to be Ivanka. So put your money on that. Okay. Well, Tim, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I I just don't think it's going to be Donald. Tim, thanks for the call. We're going to check in with Melody Schreiber on the other side of the break and talk about monkeypox for five, ten minutes, and then I'll be right back with your phone calls. So stick around. It's 27 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Helping you win the water cooler wars now that a few of us are back at work. Uh, Johan in Los Angeles. Hey, Johan, what's on your mind today? I have an idea about the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know you. This would be a good idea. Um, back in the day, Justice Berger wanted to abolish the Second Amendment and not to put it back into the Constitution. In the other hand, John Paul Stevens, the one of the chief justices, 
wants to rewrite the Second Amendment so that it only goes to the military police and uh, security guards and things like that. Right. Should yeah. all 50 states put this into the ballot in 2024 and people vote on it so the well, government can pass or re- repeal the amendment? The, yeah, the way that we would uh, repeal or establish an amendment that contradicts the, the Second Amendment is uh, it has to pass both the House and Senate with a two-thirds vote and then it has to yeah. be voted yes by three-quarters of the states. Uh, I think that's, uh, Johan, I think that's a, a lift that is uh, impossible, frankly, in, in the current impossible. political environment. Yeah, I, it's not going to happen. Um, what, what I think is imp- it does need to happen is we do need to educate people. We need to blow up this lie that the NRA has been selling since the 70s that the Second Amendment is there so that we can challenge our government. That is, that is something that the, 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 these crazed right-wing militia people are clinging to um, along with their guns, to paraphrase Obama, and, uh, and particularly the, whites, the white supremacists, you know, who, who want to just, you know, kill people of color in this country uh, or, or establish a separate country of just white people in this country or establish this country as, you know, that, that, that's largely the cohort that is, that is pointing to this. The other point that I would make is that the Second Amendment does say for the security of well a regulated, yeah. right, a, re, a re, well-regulated militia. And in the Heller decision, up until the Heller decision, uh, in whatever year that was, um, I'm, I'm forgetting now, but up until the Heller decision, everybody understood that the militia part of the Second Amendment was an important part of it. And in the Heller decision, Scalia essentially said, you know, that's, that, that's not the core of the Second Amendment. That, that is a, uh, a peripheral part of it. I forget the word he used, but, uh, you know, kind of an appendage to it. And it can, be separ- it can be separated from it, and we can just deal with the rest of the Second Amendment and exclude the militia part. Well, that, you know, he, and he claims to be an originalist, but that's complete BS. I mean, the, the, the actual original, you know, founders and framers, it was all about the militia. It was entirely about the militia, in fact. So I think the work we have to do is not so much, uh, you know, repeal the Second Amendment or, or, or whatnot, is to uh, change the broad understanding of it. We need to be telling the truth about where the Second Amendment came from. We need to be pushing back on these lies that the NRA and now, you know, the, the, these uh, right-wing white supremacist militias have been pushing for years and years and years and that they're continuing to push. Or we have to, or we have to uh, hold gun owners, the store owners, hold them accountable for it selling those uh, weapons of war when, you know... Well, that's another piece to it, is, you know, yeah. Congress, Congress gave immunity from product liability lawsuits to the, to the gun industry, which is nuts, and that needs to be repealed right away. Uh, again, that's going to take, you know, an act of Congress, and uh, given the current state of the Senate, that's going to be a challenge, but maybe after this election, if we can grab some seats. Johan, i got to run, but thank you for the call. We'll be right back. It's 47 minutes past the hour. I'll be back with you in 60 seconds after I read an ad over on the commercial side of the show. Um, Stick around. Check it out. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and Hank in Port Townsend, Washington. Hey, Hank, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm calling back to uh, object 
with great prejudice about the previous caller's claim that AR-15s are not weapons of war? Yeah. Um, There's a uh, scientific term called cavitation. You briefly mentioned it at the end, and it has to do with the velocity of the bullets fired and the fact they're three times, uh, they have three times the velocity of a bullet from a handgun, but since kinetic energy is a squared law, that means it has nine times the velocity. And that's what causes the immense destructive power of the bullet when it hits anybody, period. Right. The power, uh, and, uh, the power is uh, the, the speed times the mass squared, isn't it? That's correct, yes. It's, it's, it's a yes. variation on, you know, in electricity, it's wattage equals uh, uh, voltage times amperage. Uh, and then you can, yeah, you can... Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You're absolutely correct. And this is the main reason that all these weapons of war need to be outlawed. Yeah, so cavitation. Give us a definition of that term. Uh, it has to do with the formation of vapor bubbles within a liquid at low pressure regions that occur in places where the liquid has been accelerated to high velocities. So basically so what it does is it causes your blood to boil? The greater the damage. It, it, it causes so your, tissue, a, your tissues to yeah, boil? It causes your tissues to explode. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And that's, yeah. and that's why the, you know, these, these kids were so badly exploded. Hank, thank you. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Tom in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, a real quick one for you. Let's say I'm a billionaire in Pennsylvania and you're a politician in Oregon and you're selling me that uh, if you get elected, you're going to lower my taxes so I donate money to you. Couldn't you consider that interstate commerce? And if you can, can't the Congress regulate it? The problem is that the Supreme Court has ruled that uh, cash, political donations, are speech and that of all the kinds of speech that we can regulate, you know, the fire in the theater and all that kind of stuff, of all the kinds of speech that we can regulate, the one kind of speech that we most cannot regulate, we should not regulate, is political speech. Uh, and that actually makes a certain amount of sense. You want to have a robust political dialogue. But because of that, trying to reinterpret that money as interstate commerce, which of course it is. I mean, you know, you and I are in complete agreement here. But I'm, I'm putting this in the context of, of you know, Buckley and, and Bellotti and Citizens United um, because the Supreme Court has, has twisted the meaning of words and said, no, no, it's not speech it's, or it's not money, it's speech. Um, you have to look at it in that context. So that's the problem. Tom, great question. Thank you very much. Carol in Seattle. Hey, Carol, what's up? I've been watching uh, gun, uh, the, um, it's a med cram. And they have a new thing on guns. It's firearm and violence and suicide explained clearly. These are doctors that have been uh, really doing a good job of covering and teaching lectures on things that are happening uh, with COVID. So I've been following them for a couple of years on YouTube, but they have a website. And it's called MedCram. C-R-A-M? And yep. And they're just really good with their numbers. And the bottom line on the... The, the suicides are becoming more murder in the, you know, 
taking out more people with you rather than just the the one yeah that's my sense know? of it is that a lot of these mass shootings mm-hmm. are not actually murders they're actually suicides going out in a blaze of glory you know in in scare quotes Absolutely. yeah yeah, yeah. and they and they cover they have current up to 2020 numbers so it's pretty good uh, stats and you know it's nice graphs and they they it's easy to watch and uh, they're long. Some of them are like 25 minutes, and so, but you know you can get right into it in five minutes and see some of the graphs. Yeah. You know. Oh, check it yeah. out, Carol. And thanks really a lot. Good on, on all of their- yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Bye bye. Sure enough. Good talking to you, Tim in Jackson, Wyoming. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hey, Tom. Uh, thank you. I, I was wondering if you might be able to uh, explain to me how come so in the, in the during the Reagan administration, the Consumer Protection Bureau or, or there's a better it didn't name exist for it, at consumer- that time. Well, it, it, it came. Didn't, the no, it came, pr- no, the Consumer Protection Bureau, or the, the uh, well, actually, maybe we're talking about two different things. The one that Elizabeth Warren was the champion for that got put into into law. I'm pretty sure during the Obama administration. Now, this was the Consumer Protection Product Consumer Product Safety Commission. Oh, okay, yeah, Consumer okay, that goes that goes back to what LBJ or Nixon or something. The, yeah, 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 yeah. And and during the Reagan administration, I believe it was eighty eight. Um, they they banned lawn darts. Do you remember lawn darts? I do. They banned them because yep. too many kids were getting hurt and killed. Yep. And, and so I'm wondering why we can't use some sort of agency like obviously they're not going to be able to come out and ban you know assault weapons. But why can't we use an agency like that to ban, for example, the bump, the bump stocks that we did, or the high capacity magazines, or something along those lines that say, "Look, this is this is a consumer product safety uh, concern." My understanding, Tim, is that the reason we can't is because Congress passed a law granting the gun industry and their retail chain uh, basically blanket immunity. And, okay. uh, and and that's why when the parents from, I think it was uh, uh, Newtown or Sandy Hook, one or the other, you know, they just had that successful lawsuit against Remington that maxed out Remington's insurance. And the only thing that they could sue them for was their marketing strategy because the marketing was not mentioned in that law. So, uh, you know, A, and then B, you know, there's only two products sold in the United States where when used as directed, the outcome is death. Um, one is tobacco. And the other is guns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to argue, you know, yeah, the, you know, you, you, we can take this toaster off the market because if you touch it, it'll electrocute sure. you. But we can't take this gun off the market because they told you if you pull the trigger, it's going to shoot. Okay. Okay. I so, understand. Well, thank you for the I, I, explanation. Sure. <laughs> Good talking to you, Tim. Well, yeah, bottom line, uh, Tim, is we need to change that law, right? We need to get rid of that blanket immunity. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind? Well, Tom, I'd just like to say simply that in light of the church shooting yesterday in Ames, Iowa, and the many shootings we've had in other churches and temples and mosques, can we expect Senator Ted Cruz to come out and say churches should have only one door? Right. By the way, what do you call a school with only one door? A fire trap. Absolutely. I mean, how absurd is that? But yeah, I, you know, doors are the problem. Great point, George. Thank you very much for calling and making it. Gordon in Los Angeles, also listening on SiriusXM. Hey, Gordon, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Thank you. Well, anyway, we, we just have a few about, seconds, Gordon. Quick one. The Second Amendment, 
and uh, that called the Declaration of Independence that almost governments are rallying around uh, where they want to, you know, overthrow the government. You know, the part that says that uh, it is a duty to uh, overthrow or abolish that government. Right. And uh, my point is, is that, you know, at the time the Declaration of Independence was written, you know, yeah. that was really Gordon, I'm, I'm sorry. A, we're hitting the break, and B, you're using one of those VoIP phones so that when the music starts, it kills your your audio. So I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Hey, special thanks uh, so much to uh, my producers, Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, our video producer Nate, or director, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, who runs our websites, Joyce the Hammer Nance, who answers their phones, Nigel Peacock, and Sue Nethercutt, who work on our websites, and Sue does our newsletter, Patrick Hoyt and Geraldine Halbert, who cut up our, our uh, podcasts, Ron Hartenbaum, who is our business manager, Chase Spross, our engineer, and all the folks on the chat room, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Al Gorilla Rhythm, Acrano Arreo, and Carta Verde. Thank you. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 